Well, good morning, church. Uh, I think that we are live and, uh, you know, enjoying some time together. I'm glad that you could join us this morning. Boy, this is sort of reminiscent of what we did uh, a couple of years ago with quarantine, right? And uh, that was for COVID, and this is because of snow, because of a blizzard, right? And so uh, I'm glad that you have decided to join us and um, take some time out of your shoveling and digging yourselves out from uh, from our blizzard yesterday uh, to just uh, worship the Lord by opening his word together. Um, and so uh, I am coming to you live from a Holiday Inn up in uh, Sussex County, New Jersey. Uh, I'll share a little bit more about why I'm up here uh, in our time together this morning, but um uh, you know, it's good to be together, even though it has to be like this, but uh, we just thought it was best, uh, myself and the church leadership, uh, to close down the church for this morning so that it could uh, be plowed out and cleared out and ready for all of our activities this week. Um, and of course, to give uh, all of you, you know, time to uh, to enjoy the snow and of course, to to get yourselves out from underneath all of that snow. Um, we only had a couple of inches up where I am in, in Northwest Jersey in Sussex County. But uh, as I was checking in with, um, with uh, people from the church, just heard about how much snow is down there. And so we're going to be heading out um, just right after our, uh, our, our time together this morning to head back down and see what it all looks like. But um, it was certainly beautiful up here with the snow. We only got a couple of inches, but um, uh, I'll share more in a few minutes about, um, about our time up here and what's going on, but um, just wanted to uh, um, to get us caught up on uh, a few things that are going on in the life of the church, like we, you know, always like to when we gather, we call it church life, and, um, uh, and uh, then we'll open God's Word together, because we're still going through our, our, uh, our journey through the book of Colossians, Paul's letter to the church uh, in, uh, in the city of Colossae, and um, he talks about how uh, Christ is preeminent and should be in our lives. And so our series is simply called Greater Than because Jesus is greater than, than all things and, and all people and uh, and all gods that uh, people can create for themselves. And so it's important that we keep Jesus first and preeminent in all things in our lives. And uh, this morning we're going to be looking at uh, what our uh, relationship to non-believers looks like. Because we've uh, seen how Paul has told us how to have a relationship with each other within the church, <clears throat> with other Christians, and uh, within the home, uh, within the workplace. Uh, and um, But now he's talking to us uh, directly about how we are to interact with people that are not of the same faith, people that do not believe in the Lord Jesus uh, for salvation, that they don't recognize him yet as a savior and the promised Messiah. And there is a difference and there's some important things that the Apostle Paul has for us um, this morning about what it looks like uh, to interact with the people around us that uh, don't yet believe in Jesus. So church, let me pray for us uh, as we get our, our time started and then I'll just kind of highlight a few things that are going on in the life of Trinity. And then we'll open the word of God together. All right, so let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity, Lord, and for this tool of being able to, to live stream and to be able to, to, uh, to just share from your word for a few minutes with friends and family, the church family at Trinity, and anyone else that is uh, tuning in, watching, Lord, and participating. Just pray, Father, that you would bless us in our time together. And again, thank you for the opportunity to do this so we don't have to be completely um, separated on this Sunday morning uh, because of the snow, but that, Lord, uh, your word goes forth and that uh, we can spend time hearing from it, being blessed and changed by it. So, Lord, we ask your blessing on our time together. I ask, Father God, that you would bless each and every one that is watching and listening and that you would bless their hearts, God, that you would give them just a time of rest and a time of comfort and peace, uh, that um, no matter what they were doing this morning or have to do later on, uh, whether it's shoveling or, 
or anything else, Father God, I just pray that this would be a sweet time, Lord, a time in your word and a time uh, spent just uh, reflecting on the truth of who you call us to be in this world in which we live. And so, Father, we know that you change lives and that you use your word, and we, you use your Holy Spirit uh, to transform us and to bring restoration where that's needed, to bring reconciliation and to bring redemption, but, Lord, also to bring renewal. And so, Lord, um, we all come before you now uh, from different different means, different ways in, in that we have um, had different experiences this past week and even this morning. Um, but Lord, you know us and you know our hearts. And Father, we of course know that your word teaches us that there is only one way to be reconciled to you and that is through Christ. But Lord, meet us where we are, and where we, um, we find ourselves this morning Thank you for being a God who knows us so well because you created us and you loved us enough to send us Jesus. So, God, we ask that you would work through your word and your spirit to bring change and transformation in our hearts and our minds, and that ultimately, through it all, that you would get to glory. And we pray these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. So thank you, friends, for again, for joining us on our live stream for Trinity Bible Church. Uh, thanks for praying uh, along uh, with me. Um, but I wanted to highlight a few things, and we'll just open God's Word together. So February 13th is a date that I mentioned um, last week, uh, that uh, February 13th, coming up in just a couple of weeks, is our annual business meeting. And uh, so we like to do it at the beginning of the year, and uh, we go over the budget for the year, some, some business items that we need to uh, make sure that we're we're solid on, we're on the same page on, so we get to the, the voting members in Trinity get to vote on the budget for the year, how we're going to spend all the resources, the money that you so generously give, and uh, so that's an important part of our business meeting, but you'll also hear from me about um, the vision for this year, and I'll be uh, sharing with you what our theme will be for this year, and you'll hear a lot more also uh, on February 13th, on that Sunday, right after service, we have our business meeting. You'll be hearing more, not only about the vision for uh, for this year, for 2022, but also about this new initiative called the Discipleship Pathway. And I kind of just, uh, you know, just gave a short teaser uh, or a trailer about that last week and um, uh, two weeks ago, actually, and just wanted to to let you know that in March, you know, so in about a month or six weeks from now, we will be um, uh, rolling out this initiative and being able to uh, to bring to Trinity uh, not a program, but um, but a platform, uh, a means by which that we can all come together and uh, understand what it looks like. Uh, through learning and through experience to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to be a follower. And so this is going to be um, an initiative that will roll out in March that I, I truly believe will become part of the DNA of Trinity, just like we, we have our core values of learn and grow and serve. And so our discipleship pathway is going to be, uh, a, it's going to be a, a resource, a, a wonderful tool and resource for everyone in the church to use, to make sure that we together are on the path, uh, the pathway of Jesus. You know, the early church was uh, was called for a time the way, and people gave them that name, and they uh, they knew that because they were followers of Christ, that they were on the way, the way of Jesus, the way of our master. And so a discipleship pathway is very simply taking the teachings of Scripture and codifying them, putting them together in a way to say, what is it that Jesus requires of his followers? For when Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, that you must deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me, what does he mean by that? So we look at all the rest of, of the New Testament and Jesus' teachings and Paul's teachings and others, we say, what does it look like? to be a disciple? What's the anatomy? What's the DNA of a disciple? 
who are we and what should we be doing? And just like when you go out for a hike, you go for a walk, you follow a path. Well, when Jesus said, follow me, I believe that in the pages of scripture, he created a pathway with his teachings. And, and there is much required of a disciple of Jesus. And so there are, there are steps along the way. There are checkpoints and stepping stones um, and uh, cornerstones and marks along the way of this path where we can see if we are headed in the direction that Jesus is leading us. And so this discipleship pathway that uh, you'll hear more about uh, in the coming weeks, we will roll that out in March. But I just wanted to remind you of that again and be looking for that. There's going to be printed materials. There's going to be uh, resources on our website. Uh, and uh, there'll be uh, opportunities to learn more about all the different aspects of our discipleship pathway. Uh, but I think it'll be a, a key component of uh, life at Trinity. And so uh, be looking for that. Um, and uh, that's, um, uh, that'll be coming up soon in March. And the last thing is also on February 13th, which is our, that day I mentioned in our annual business meeting, that is also when we'll begin uh, transitioning our Dig Deeper Bible Study, which is Wednesday night. Well, that'll be transitioning to Sunday morning. And so we will have an opportunity starting uh, February 13th to have uh, uh, a chance to get together on Sunday mornings before service at 9.30 to 10.45. You come in, grab some coffee, and we'll be meeting down the classroom in the hall uh, to... Um, uh, to discuss the scriptures, and that'll be a topical. Uh, there'll be sometimes we'll go through a book of the Bible. Um, we'll look at current events. We'll look at um, trends in culture. Uh, we'll look at theological concepts, and of course, it's all about uh, learning uh, to be more like Jesus and uh, becoming the disciples of Him. And so, we're going to kick that off um, that um, that time on Sunday mornings of learning and growing. We're going to kick that off with our elder Bruce Neary teaching a four-week series on creation, the days of creation, all the different uh, ideas and and uh, ways that Christians may interpret that and the significance of that, the ramifications for, uh, for that. Because if that's how the Bible starts, then I think we need to understand and get that right because that really does um, start to set the foundation for the rest of Scripture and how we then interpret it and see uh, the God that we learn about as the pages of the Bible unfold for us. And so that's February 13th. So make sure you mark your calendars uh, and uh, make a commitment to, to come on out early on Sundays. You know, um, if you can be there at 1030, I think you can be there at 930 for an extra uh, time of learning together in, uh, in a group setting uh, before we have our worship service at 10.30. So make it a point to, to be a part of that. Um, and then uh, what we're going to do now is open scripture. And so we're in, in the book of Colossians, and we're in chapter 4, and it's verses 5 and 6. So just those two verses. So Colossians chapter 4, verses uh, 5 and 6. And uh, last week we did verses... Um, uh, three and four. Today we're in five and six. And uh, what we're going to talk about today is our witness before non-believers. So yes, it has something to do with evangelism. We hear the word witness and we often think about witnessing, like telling other people about Jesus. And many, many believers, many Christians kind of get nervous when they hear that word. And how is it I can tell other people about Jesus? But today's verses uh, are much more than that. What Paul is really going to show us, and we'll take a look at, at um, these, these two verses and, and glean just a, a few things, just three main things from the, the short passage. But what he's trying to say is he's trying to say, look, you know, I've talked to you about personal relationships um, earlier in, in the book of Colossians and then in the last uh, few verses that we've looked at over the last few weeks. We have seen Paul instruct us on how to have relationships with other believers, whether it's at work or it's in the home or it's parents and children. And there's, there's significance to that. And there's some things that are, uh, that are unique to those kinds of relationships that are based on a, the common bond of Jesus Christ. But now Paul says to us, you know, it's also very important 
that we take care in how we live out our faith before others because people are watching. And so Paul is going to just briefly share with us from these verses, Colossians 4, 5, and 6, what it means to be a witness for Christ in how we live and act and with the words that we say. So uh, the reason that I'm joining you this way um, this morning is twofold. One, obviously because of the, the blizzard, because of the snow, and we've needed to shut down the building for this morning. But the reason that I'm joining you from uh, this um, conference room in this hotel uh, up in uh, Sussex County is because I had the great privilege of officiating a wedding a good friend uh, of ours, actually a, a college friend of my daughter Lauren's back from when she went to Boston University, and um, she still is good friends uh, with her. And, and so I was honored that they asked me to officiate their wedding. And so we were up here for that. And uh, boy, I have to tell you, you know, every wedding is unique. But this one was certainly unique for many reasons, but especially because they did it in the midst of a blizzard. And I want to share with you just a, a few things that I, I, I shared with the couple yesterday and with the, their family and friends that were in attendance, because um, it has everything to do with what we're talking about here this morning in, in this passage in Colossians. You see, this couple um, has faced a lot of adversity, a lot of adversity in their years together in a relationship leading up to um, their wedding yesterday. But even just in the last couple of years, you know, of course, we think about it and think about all that that COVID has disrupted in our personal lives. But think for a moment about all the people that um, that had planned weddings, all those couples that had for years planned weddings to take place. And my daughter was no exception. She was part of that a year ago. But this young couple that got married yesterday were part of that. And so they needed to change their plans a few times and then land on this date uh, to try to um, to gather all the friends and family together that were ready to do it back during um, you know quarantine and when COVID was at its height. And, and so um, trying to uh, navigate all the details, you can imagine um, the headache that that is, the nightmare, because it's, it's, it's such um, a beautiful, you know, part of, of our lives when we get to attend a wedding or, of course, plan one uh, to, uh, to get married. And um, there's a lot that goes into it and so much coordinating of details and time and money and, and people and relationships. And so they've been through quite a bit of adversity. And then um, this couple, they're both uh, professionals, one's in law and one is a a uh, medical doctor, and so who's finishing up a residency in New York, and and um, they were able to buy a house down in uh, um, a southern state, and so they're separated by distance as as the uh, wife finishes up her residency, and the other one is getting, and their husband is getting everything settled down south for their uh, <clears throat> their new life, their new home together. Um, but even prior to that, as they were pursuing their professional degrees, they were doing it in different states, and so they had a long-distance relationship. So they have faced adversity, not only because of COVID, but because of distance and long-distance relationships, and then you bring it to yesterday, and another um, adversity, another hill that they had to climb over just to be able to get together to share their vows and to to celebrate their new life together in front of friends and, friends and family. And that was the blizzard. And of course, it wasn't just a little bit of snow. It had to be a blizzard where there were feet of snow right in the area. And uh, even though we didn't get that much up here in this part of New Jersey where the wedding was taking place, um, still, it caused a lot of issues, and there were people that that had to to bail and couldn't come out to the wedding. And of course, that's always disappointing to the young couple when there's special people in their lives that can't make it. So anyway, this couple had been through a lot of adversity. I think you know what I'm talking about, and you can relate to your own um, situations and issues you've dealt with. But 
but it was significant and it was stressful for this couple because they wanted everybody to to celebrate with them and to, and to be joyful and happy and of course they wanted it to be easy for them you know and they've set everything in motion they could but you know we 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 make plans but we don't always know how they're going to to pan out in in um proverbs 16:9 it says in in our hearts we plan our course but the Lord sets the steps. And so we always have to be ready to take our plans and just lay them at the Lord's feet and say, God, this is what we would like to see happen, but we want your will to be done. And we never know what it's going to look like or what adversity the Lord may allow for whatever reason along our path and along our journey. But they certainly faced quite a bit of adversity leading up to yesterday and even up to the very moments before the ceremony. And I can tell you one last thing that, um, you know, was just part of that and that this venue that they had planned to use in the warmer weather, it's a beautiful venue where, where they, they got married and it turned out to be a wonderful wedding, of course, but the venue is really not set up for uh, colder weather. So they're not normally open during this time, but to get caught up with all of the, the weddings that needed to be rescheduled, they needed to open. And so the place was beautiful, but the actual um, building where the, the ceremony took place had very little heat because they're not used to being open this time of year. And so um, it got to be as warm as about 50 degrees. And of course, everybody was was cold. But I have to say, once the ceremony started, um, I think people forgot about that for the short time we were together because all focus and attention were on the young couple getting married. And um, But yeah, just another small thing to add to one adversity after another. But I share all that to say this that the Apostle Paul, who's writing these words in Colossians 4, he was a man who knew about adversity, wasn't he? If you remember, he's writing this letter, this book of Colossians. He's writing it while he's in prison in Rome, and it says he was in chains and he was in prison. And he's writing from a place of adversity. It seems like it's all Paul knew. Once Christ got a hold of him, you remember on the road to Damascus, ever since then, it seems like Paul was facing adversity. Years back, uh, Trinity, we went through uh, the book of Acts together. And Acts is a wonderful book because it's a, it's a, a transitional book between the, the Gospels and then the epistles and, um, of Paul and others. And, and, um, and Acts shows us what the early church was like, and it tells us a lot about the Apostle Paul and his missionary journeys, and we see, um, you know, time after time, Paul is facing adversity, whether he's being mocked or scorned or, or kicked out of, of synagogues or places that he's teaching or even physically beaten and abused. There was one time where he was actually dragged out of a city and left for dead, and everybody thought that he was dead until his church family, his, his brothers and sisters came around him and, and nursed him and, and, and brought him back to, to healing and to life. But the Apostle Paul knows about adversity. So just keep that in context. Keep that in mind as I read for you these verses in Colossians 4, 5, and 6. Of course, I'd like you to, to read along at home. If not, just listen to these words. But Paul is sharing these words for us from a place of adversity where he knows what it means to be bound in chains and he knows what it means to have to live a life for Christ unashamedly before people that will not only not want to listen to him or even just be indifferent, but will mock him and scoff at him and scorn him and even want to kill him. Listen to what he says. In Colossians 4, 5, and 6, he says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That's it. That's our passage for this morning. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, 
making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, if you remember from last week, the two verses before this, Paul taught us how to pray. Because Paul was praying for open doors. You remember that? He was praying that God would open doors, not for himself, but for the gospel. See, isn't that interesting and amazing? Here is Paul in prison behind a, a door where he could not leave on his own. He was not free. And here is Paul praying for that one thing that any prisoner would want, and that would be an open door. But he wasn't praying for that physical open door that he could escape prison. Of course, he would want that. But what was he asking us to pray for in last week's passage? It was that there would be open doors for the gospel. It's why he was in prison, because he was preaching the gospel, and he was saying, pray that there'd be more open doors for me, not so he could physically leave, but that the word of God, the good news of the gospel, he would still be able to send forth. And so today in our passage, he's now saying, look, as that gospel goes forth, you're going to be interacting with people who don't want to hear it, who might laugh at you, who might not even give you the time of day or might ask you questions you have no answer to. And so what is he saying? He's saying, look, I'm praying for open doors, but be careful how you live before outsiders, he calls them. It's just another way of saying people that are not yet believers in Christ, to the non-Christians. And so the word for us today is, how do we represent Jesus in our world? You know, it's, it's, it's much different, of course, when we're at church or we're surrounded by believers. And that's a beautiful thing because we always need that encouragement and we are like-minded in our faith and, and we have the common bond, the, the greatest of common bonds, and that is Jesus Christ. So we should seek that out and we need that. But the reality is, of course, that we live in a world where most people are not believers and they don't know who Jesus is. They don't know that he offers the only way of hope. They don't know that he said himself that he's the way, the truth, and the life and that no one comes to the Father except through him. And see, that's the truth and that's the gospel that we have to proclaim. And so Paul says in these verses, he says, you know what? Make sure you're taking care how you live your life and how you live your life because people are watching you. Yes, brothers and sisters are watching you, but more importantly, he's saying those people that are not believers in Jesus, they're watching you. So here's what he wants us to do. He wants us to walk in wisdom, make the best use of our time, and be careful of how we say things. You know, you probably have heard it said before, and we don't know if this is truly attributed as a quote to Francis of Assisi or somebody else, but it's it's often been said, you know, to, to preach the gospel always, but if you need to, use words, something along those lines. Well, you know what, I'm not so sure that I agree with that, because we cannot truly preach the gospel without using our words, because yes, how we act in front of others is so vitally important. Because oftentimes people won't believe what you say, but they'll believe what you do. And I understand that's part of human nature, and that's often how people react to us. But yet the truth is, in order for people to know about Jesus and to know about the gift of life he offers, about reconciliation to the Father, forgiveness of sin, we have to use our words, and we have to speak and we have to tell others about Jesus. And so Paul says, be careful how you do that. Be careful of the words that you use and how you use them, how you say things. You know, we know from relationships. And remember, Paul is talking all about relationships here. Last week, it was about relationships with other believers and family. And now he's talking about more relationships with strangers, especially those that don't know Jesus. And he says, you have to be careful how you interact with people, because people are watching. But not only the things that you say and, and, and the things you do, 
but keep it in the context of adversity because Paul was writing from a place of adversity. And I was just talking about all the adversity that this young couple was facing leading up to the marriage and people were watching them. How are they going to handle one problem after another? How are they going to do this, especially as a young couple? And all I want to do is have a great party and a beautiful sacred ceremony to, uh, to honor God with their marriage. And so Paul is saying, look, people will watch you, but especially in your times of adversity. Church, here's the question I asked for you this morning. When people see you react to difficulty, to trials, to pain, to loss, to adversity, what are they going to see? How is it that we react to those things? And I'm sure we can think back in, in, uh, in times in our life when we've run the gambit of all different kinds of reactions. But the simple um, directive here from Paul, the simple reminder and encouragement and challenge is be careful. Be careful of your witness before others because we are called to be ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador is someone that represents the interests and the ways of someone else. An ambassador of one country goes to another country and say, here's who we are, and this is what we would like, and this is what we believe. And it's not just for that person to say and do their own thing. They are representing a country. Well, we are ambassadors of Christ, so we represent Jesus. When we take the name of Jesus, and when we say we are Christians, we are aligning ourselves with him and his teachings and his way. We are the people of the way. And so we need to be careful how we live. And so the first thing that Paul says is he says that we are to be people that are um, careful and wise with our witness. We are to be wise with our witness. And, and he tells us to be careful how we walk. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Well, what does it mean when we walk? We all know what it means to walk. We walk around, and but just think about that aspect of walking. When you're walking, first of all, you're heading in a certain direction, and, and you're moving, and you're walking, and so it gives this idea of, of constancy, of consistency, and that you are doing something constantly. You're moving your feet one in front of the other, and it's something that Paul is saying like, hey, when you walk before others, walk in wisdom, meaning every day, not just when you show up at work, not just in those times that are planned, but he says, walk, walk in wisdom. Why? Because when you're walking and you're living for Christ every moment of every day, then we could face all different kinds of adversity and scenarios, and we won't even know it. We can't anticipate and expect every single kind of situation that we're going to face every day. So he says, as you're walking with Jesus, as you're walking along in your, your Christian faith, do it with wisdom because you never know what to expect. Well, you know, this, this young couple that I got to marry yesterday, they truly understand that old saying to expect the unexpected. I mean, you plan a winter wedding, it's all inside, but you don't anticipate that there's going to be an historic blizzard and that people are going to have trouble getting there, and, and there's going to be so much adversity thrown at you. You don't plan for that. You can't really. But Paul is saying walk in wisdom, because as you're consistently living out your faith and living with Christ, which is an every moment, everyday thing, it's just not planned appointments. It's a lifestyle. It's how we live and breathe as Christians. He's saying do it with wisdom. Do it with wisdom because people are watching. It's not always easy to walk along with Christ. And Jesus didn't say it would be always easy, of course, but he said he would always be there with us. But yet through that adversity, we need to keep moving forward, but to do it with wisdom. You know, some of you know that we recently just got a, a puppy. We have a new dog at home. And so while we've been away, we have somebody at our house who's been kind enough to watch our dog. And she sent us a video of uh, our puppy's first experience out in the snow. And any of you that have dogs, you know what that what that's like. It could be so fun. Of course, she's only this big. So to see her trying to, to just jump around in the snow, and it's just completely overwhelming her. 
but yet she was so determined, right, to keep moving forward, couldn't even get a foothold to jump, and it took so much out of her. She slept for hours after that. It was fun to watch, but to, to see her struggle to keep moving forward, but she kept trying, one step after another being adversity. Well, you know, Paul says, as you walk, as you keep moving forward, those things are going to happen, and people are going to watch how you react. What do you say in those times? How do you um, give glory to God, even in the trials of life? So Paul says, walk in wisdom before outsiders. People want to know about Jesus, whether they know it or not. They want to know that there's hope in the world. They want to know what the, the purpose of life is, the meaning of life. Many people won't ever express it or they'll deny it. But see, the scripture says that God has placed eternity in the hearts of humans, which means every single person that we meet every day as we walk with Christ through our daily lives, every single person will live for eternity and, and they have eternity written on their hearts, meaning they have a sense that there's something more than what this world has to offer. In church, it's what we know to be the truth, and it's what we have to offer, and that is the good news of the gospel. So Paul told us last week, pray for open doors, for opportunities, and now he's telling us as those opportunities come, you never know when they're going to come, but walk in wisdom. But then he says this, he says, make the best use of your time. Make the best use of your time. Well, that could be a whole message in and of itself, couldn't it? So my simple question to you is this. How do you spend your time? How do you spend your time? What are you doing with your time? Are you redeeming the time? How are you managing your time? Now, I'm not seeing this as a person who, who, is, uh, who is excellent and perfect at managing their time. Far from it. All I'm telling you is that what Paul is trying to say is like, make use of your time. Here is Paul in prison, and what he's doing is he's asking for prayers that the word that he has shared would bear fruit, there'd be more opportunities, open doors for it, for him and for others. He is making use of his time for the gospel and for the glory of God. And so Paul is saying, make use of your time don't waste it. You know, I can be so good at wasting time and being lazy, can't you? I mean, it's so easy to do that. But Paul says, redeem the time. You know, how do we make use of our time? In, um, in Psalm 90, listen to what it says in Psalm 90. It says, uh, this is Moses. Psalm 90 is probably the oldest of all the Psalms that we have. And is written by Moses. And here's what Moses said. In Psalm 90, verse 12, he says, Teach us, God, to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So what he's telling us about time is that we don't know how long we have. We should number our days. Not that we're counting down the days until we die, but he's saying take account of the fact that we don't know how long we have. Elsewhere in Scripture, it says our days are fleeting, that we are but dust and will return back to dust that as the, the grass withers and the flowers fade, right? That's so the life of a person. And so we need to, at times, take a step back and realize, wait, it's important how I use my time because I don't know how much time I have, how much time God is going to give me. God knows how much time. He has numbered our days. But Moses is saying, let us remember that we can't dictate how much time we have to do certain things in life. Only God knows that. So we need to make use of every moment of every day. And also in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says this in Ephesians 5, 15 to 16. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. I read that for you again. Again, this is um, in Ephesians 5, 15 to 16. If you have your Bibles and you're following along, I, I encourage you to turn to that. 
he says, this is Paul again, he wrote this book of Ephesians. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. See, there's that idea of wisdom again in how we live. He says, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So you see there in that passage in Ephesians 5, he also adds in, he says, we have to be careful of how we use our time make the most of every opportunity and to be careful of it. But he says, why? Because the days are evil. Because there's going to be temptation to waste our time. Because there's going to be distractions that are going to uh, lead us to waste our time that should be spent focusing on doing the things that God has, has called us to do. But he says, because the days are evil. Church, the days have always been evil in that sense because of sin. And we know that um, the world around us will hate us, is what Jesus said. It's a strong word, but Jesus said the world hated him, they'll hate us, which means they're going to hate our faith, our, our trust in God, and uh, our belief that Jesus is the only way. They're not going to like that at all. And Jesus said that, and that was over 2,000 years ago. And Paul is saying it as well back then. He says, be careful because the days are evil. And church, unfortunately... Sin is a degenerative disease. Things don't get better, they get worse. The world is broken, our physical bodies are broken, our minds are broken, our hearts are broken because of sin and we live in a sinful world and that's why only Christ can make things new. You know, he makes our hearts new when we put our faith and trust in him. And at the end of Revelation, at the end of the, the whole story of the Bible, he's saying, I'm making all things new. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth that we will dwell in for all of eternity with each other. But yet only God does that. But Paul says the days are evil, which means it's going to be hard. There's going to be adversity. And people are going to want to mock you and, and be scoffers at your faith. You know, it says, I think it's in 2 Peter chapter 3, around there, He, um, uh, Peter says um, that in those days, the end, day, the end times, that um, scoffers will come and scoffing and saying, where is the resurrection? Meaning, where is Jesus? Where is, where is Jesus? Is he coming back? See, we believe Jesus rose from the dead the first time, and they scoffed at that. And now Peter is saying that in the future, people are going to come and say, oh, this Jesus you said came back to life. You said he was coming back again for you. Where is he? We have people say that today, wouldn't they? Oh, it's been 2,000 years, and, and generations of Christians have said Jesus is coming back, and it could be any day now, and we're still here, and evil still persists. Ah, just give it up. So Peter says, scoffers will come telling us that. But then he reminds us, he says, God... God considers time, not the way we do. See, God is outside of time. We, we are bound by time. We live within its margins here on this earth, but God is above and beyond time. He is not bound by it. He does not operate or live in a linear way like we do, like the way we measure time from beginning to end. Because scripture says God has no beginning or end. He's the alpha and the omega. There's no beginning. There's no end to him. Yesterday during the wedding, this couple exchanged rings often, like um, like Christians, uh, like um, couples often do when they get married. They exchange a, a ring, a wedding ring. And it, it, it's it's a circle and it symbolizes this idea of, of, of an infinite love, an eternal love, because there's no beginning, there's no end, and God is like that. He has no beginning, no end. He doesn't measure time the way that we do, but yet we know that our days are numbered, and Moses says to number our days, and so we are to be careful about how we use our time. And Peter says it in that passage I was referencing he says, God doesn't consider slowness the way we do. We might think God's delaying. God, how can you let all this happen in our world? Please come back. Jesus, you must want to come back now and rescue us from all of this. But Peter, he, he simply says, God doesn't consider slowness the way we do. He's outside of time. But you know the reason that God's delaying 
in coming back for us and, and beginning to, to bring to culmination and to fruition everything that he promised would happen in the end, end days is because he doesn't want anyone to perish, Peter says. He wants none to perish, but all to come to repentance. So therefore, we should be using our time to be witnesses for Christ because God is delaying what he says will happen in the end, his judgments, and all that will come to fruition that we read about in Revelation and elsewhere in Scripture. He's delaying that because he has a heart of mercy and compassion and a heart of love because Peter says it's all because he wants none to perish. That's his heart. And he wants all to come to repentance. Now, not everyone, of course, will respond to the gospel and say yes. But God's heart is that everybody would. And so he's giving more time and more opportunities and opening more doors for that to happen, church. So Paul is praying for more open doors. And he's now telling us, walk in wisdom because the outsiders, the non-believers are watching. And use your time wisely because the days are evil, and use your time wisely. And Moses says to, to number your days. And then finally, he says, be careful of your speech. And this is where I'll end in our time today. He says in, um, in, in verse 6 of our passage in Colossians 4, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you know how to answer each person. So what does that mean? That is to be gracious and seasoned with salt. Why does that matter? Well, just briefly, what does it mean when our, our speech is gracious? It means that we're, we're building people up instead of tearing them down. Church, think about how you speak to other people. People that are closest to you, your spouse, your children, what kind of words do you use? How do you speak to them? Are you, are you intentionally trying to build them up and encourage them? Or are you constantly tearing them down and, and trying to uh, discourage them? The words we use are important, but also how we use them is also extremely important. So Paul says, be gracious in your speech. We should be encouraging each other with the truth. But it also means this. This is really important. When he says be gracious, I think what he's saying is he's saying also, you know what? Take the time to listen. When you're gracious with somebody, it means that you're willing to be patient, aren't you? Like to just give of your time and, and listen and be there for somebody. Even when you have other things to do, things that are important, being gracious means blessing somebody with somebody, with something, and even if they don't deserve it, right? God is gracious towards us by giving us Jesus, even when we don't deserve salvation. That's the grace of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Paul says we are saved by grace through faith. Saved by grace through faith. It's God's grace because he did it all. He was so gracious to us to give us give us something that we didn't deserve, that we didn't even know we wanted. So when Paul says, be gracious with your speech, it's the same thing. Be willing to spend time to listen. Give words of affirmation, words that build up and don't tear down. James 1.19 says, be quick to hear and slow to speak. Is that how you are? Is that how you are? When I read that in my preparations for this morning, I had to take a step back. I felt like the Spirit was just saying, you know, and prompting me to say, wait, are you doing that, Keith? Are you really listening when people are talking? Did you ever notice when you're talking to somebody and they've asked you a question maybe and you're sharing with them and you can look at them and you can just tell, even when you're, you're answering a question or talking to them and you're sharing your heart, you can just tell all they're doing is waiting to say what they want to say. They're not really listening to you. They might be hearing the words, but they're not listening, which is different. All they're waiting to do is say what they think is important and what they have to say. We've done it, and we can see what other people are doing. It. Paul is saying, don't be like that. Be gracious in your speech. Be careful of the words that you use and listen. Is it important 
you know, we, I would tell my kids this all the time. It's important for everyone. You know what? That we are to be careful the words that we choose. Think before you speak. How many times have we gotten ourselves in trouble, church, when we react to something by speaking before thinking about it first and just taking a moment to think, wait, is this wise what I'm about to say? Is it going to help the situation? Is it going to make it worse? Is it going to bless this person? Or is it going to make them feel bad about themselves? Or even worse, turn them away from God? And so we need to think before we speak. I think Paul's saying that too. And James says, be quick to hear, but slow to speak. Wait before you react. Because remember, the bigger picture here this morning, Paul is saying people are watching. The outsiders, he calls them, the non-believers, they're watching how you react to adversity, especially watching. People were watching Paul. How's he going to react now that he's in prison? All he did was pray for more open doors to share the gospel, which is what landed him in jail in the first place. Paul is trying to set the example. So be gracious with your speech. But then he says, season it with salt. What does he mean by that? Well, I think we all know what he means by salt. Here, salt means salt. It's not symbolic of anything else. And he's just saying, season it with salt. It's a metaphor, right? He's saying, look, we put salt on food to make it taste better. Some of us love to use a lot of salt. I got a good friend who puts salt on his pizza. Can you imagine how salty pizza is already with the cheese and the sauce and he would put salt, all kinds of salt on his pizza. It'd be way too salty for me. But what does salt do? It, 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 it brings out flavor, doesn't it? It just makes things more appealing. It makes food more appealing in general, doesn't it? And so when he says season your speech with salt, it means as you be careful and wise and gracious with the words that you use around other people, especially non-believers, non-Christians, He's saying, make sure the words you choose are seasoned with salt. Like, are they going to make Jesus more appealing? Now, we don't have to make Jesus something. He is who he is, and he is God. But we're his ambassadors, remember? We're representing him. We're reflecting his light. It's like not our own light we have to produce. It's his light. But yet we are the ones who are reflecting it, and we are the ones sharing the gospel to others with our words. And so he says, season your words with salt. Make it just make them more appealing. Are you pointing people to Jesus with the words you choose? Or are you distracting or detracting from the truth and pointing people away from Jesus? Just as salt makes things taste better and more appealing to the way we live our lives and the way that we speak to others about anything, but especially about Jesus? Are we drawing people closer to God? Are they going to be more interested in this Jesus that we're talking about? But remember, too, too much salt is no good. I'm going to put salt on your pizza. I think you might ruin it. But too much salt is no good either. There's that balance. But we have to be careful how we use our speech. And then finally... He tells us this. Why? Because this way we can know how to answer each person. That's where I end, as that's where he ends in these verses. All of this to be said, and that Paul says, we do all this, be careful of our speech, walk in wisdom with the, our words, so that we know how to talk to people, so that we know how to answer people's questions. Remember this, finally, that everybody's an individual. We can't just go out and talk about Jesus with just sort of a, in a formulaic way, with a formula. You say this, this, and this. Yes, there are key aspects uh, aspects of the gospel and truth that we need to include in, in our sharing of Jesus. But just as we live out our faith and, and we talk of our faith in him, in our relationship with God through Christ, that we need to take each person individually. Every single person matters to God. We're all unique individuals. We're all different. Not one of us is alike. As I shared with the young couple yesterday at the wedding ceremony, 
we saw all the beautiful snow falling. We all know that snowflakes are individuals, right? That that no one flake is is like another. But you know what's interesting, church? What is it that makes a snowflake as it falls from the sky? It's time, the time that it takes to move through the atmosphere. And it's pressure. It's the changes in air pressure. It's the changes in temperature. See, there's a, a particle at the nucleus of every snowflake. It's a particle of dust, dirt from the earth, a mineral. It's at the center of it. And that center doesn't change. But as that goes through and moves through the atmosphere and descends to the ground, it goes through a lot of adversity. It picks up water and moisture along the way. It goes through temperature changes and air pressure changes. Movement changes, sometimes moving real fast or being blown with the wind around. It's like life. As we walk with Jesus, the things around us change. The temperature changes in a way, doesn't it? Because we go through seasons. Seasons of plenty and seasons of want, Paul calls it. And we go through different times of pressure, just like that snowflake going through different air pressures that will mold us and shape us in our faith and our trust and relationship with God and with others as we walk with Jesus. We live out our faith in him. We go through adversity. We go through pressure, changes in pressure, changes in temperature and season. We go through adversity. And we go through movements. The wind blows us here and there. We, we think that we might be heading in one direction, but God has a different plan for us. All these things make us who we are. They make us unique and individuals. And every single person is unique and special to God. So therefore, we are to take time to listen to them, to be interested in who they are and what they're about. Take time to get to know them and to listen. As James says, be slow to speak, but quick to hear. Shouldn't we be like that? And so this morning, in these couple of verses, Paul is saying, boy, the, the words you use are important. And how you represent Jesus is so vitally important. God is the one who does the changing of hearts and minds. So we're not saving people, but yet we are to plant the seed of the good news and we are to represent him well. So we're to, to take time, and I encourage you to do that as you go throughout your day and throughout your week. Perhaps there may be a few words or something from the message this morning that will resonate with you. But if nothing else, remember, be careful the words that you use and the way that you use your time and the way that you walk with Jesus, especially before people that don't yet believe. You know, there's an old saying, among believers, that you may be the only Jesus that people ever see. And what that means is that we always want to be pointing people to Jesus. How we react to adversity in life, how we walk out our days each and every day, even just through the daily routines of life, getting the kids ready for school, making your morning coffee, going to work, interacting with the people at the coffee shop, what dealing with all kinds of people throughout our day. People are watching, especially when we tell people we're followers of Jesus, which we should be doing. People will want to see how we act and the way that we choose to use our words. I'll leave you with this from uh, 2 Corinthians 1.12. Again, wise words of Paul. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.12, Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially in our relations with you, with integrity and godly sincerity. And we have done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. And Paul is saying that's what we needed to do in our relationships with you and with others in the world. Do it with integrity and godly sincerity. For people will watch how you react to adversities in life. But here's Paul in prison, praying for others, praying the gospel would go forth, praying for open doors. 
He was a witness for Christ, the way he lived, the words that he used. Paul was trying to make the most of his time. Church, how are you using your time? And is it glorifying to the Lord? Is it representing the gospel? Because remember, we are the people of hope in this world. We are the church as believers in Jesus. And so God has given us the truth and we have the Holy Spirit living within us. And so we are to represent him, to represent hope in a world that is desperate for hope. We are to represent peace in a world that desperately needs peace. And we have the word of life, Jesus Christ himself, within us that comes out in our speech and the way that we use our time. So let us, let us walk in wisdom and let us walk with wise speech today. Church, I do pray that you've been blessed by God's word and that you would uh, take the time today, worship with your family. We didn't get time to have worship through music together, but take time to worship the Lord, to thank him for the, the blessings in your life. Thank him for the people that he puts in your life, especially those that, in light of our scripture today, that don't yet know him. And ask the Lord, God, open some doors that I can have another chance to tell them about you, Lord. And then ask them that you would choose words wisely and that you would season your speech with salt and grace. And I pray that for you this morning. Thanks again for tuning in and uh, pray that you'd be blessed. Enjoy your time in the snow. Enjoy the beauty of all of that. And remember, this week we have our community group on uh, Tuesday night that meets at the church, our Tuesday morning Bible studies for men and women, our Wednesday night Bible study uh, at church. It'll be our last one talking about Bible prophecy. Uh, so hope to see you uh, all at some point this week in our opportunities to learn and grow and serve together at Trinity. Lord bless you. Enjoy your day. Let me pray for us. Uh, and uh, um, and then we can uh, we can leave our time uh, with peace. Father God, thank you for this blessed time together. And as we move forward in our day, be with us. Help us, Lord God, to take to heart what you have taught us this morning. We'll give you all the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed, my friends. We'll see you soon.